you know, we were able to be focused and had a level of self-discipline in the beginning of our journey. And I think that that's key for people to hear because some discipline and some focus is necessary, even if you don't know what you want to get into. I'm Raphael. I'm Sassy. Welcome to Family Man Building the Brand, the podcast that explores what it means to be a father, husband, and a businessman. Join us as we talk to entrepreneurs that are winning at home and in business. Join us as we talk about their journeys, family life, and tips for success. What's up, everybody? Welcome to our first episode of Family Man Building a Brand podcast. My name is Cecil Williams. What's up, y'all? My name is Raphael Say. We are the co-hosts of Family Man Building a Brand podcast. And today, we're going to actually be talking about how it all got started and how we got here today. So basically, I mean, Ralph and I started this podcast, but we've been business partners for 13 years with our e-com clothing brand, Royal Dynamite. But I mean, we've been friends for longer than that because um, I've known Ralph since um, I moved to um, Los Angeles uh, when I was 18. I mean, that's kind of where <laughs> the journey started. But I mean, just a little bit of a backstory <laughs> from I mean, where it started. So for me, I mean, Ralph and I are both originally, I guess you kind of say from Sierra Leone. I was born in Sierra Leone. He wasn't, but we're both Sierra Leoneans by, by, I mean, heritage, birth, and, and all that good stuff. So, culture and all that stuff, yes, sir. I mean, definitely, this guy speaks more languages that are Sierra Leone, <laughs> that, are, that are local to Sierra Leone than I can. So, I mean, maybe he has more stake in saying he's more legit than I am. Yeah, so, I mean, where, where it all started for me was... No, nah, no way, man. I mean, yeah. De- I mean, I think so, but yeah. So, definitely, I was born in Sierra Leone. Lived in Sierra Leone until I was 13, and we had to move because I think what made Sierra Leone very popular back in the days, and maybe even today for some people, is we had a civil war. And um, because of that civil war and coups and all that stuff, it wasn't a very stable place. We had to leave. I mean, most of the times we didn't, but we had to leave. So we moved to the Gambia as refugees and um, did four years of my high school in the Gambia. Made some great friends, met some good people. But obviously, after high school was done, it was time for me to move across waters. So I decided to move to the States and um, I picked California to move to. But interesting story, Ralph. Bobby, don't really share this often with a lot of people. And I don't even know <laughs> what's that, Bobby what's that, had brother? this conversation with my, with my parents, man. So I moved to California. I have a lot of family. There's there's a huge cellular population in the DMV, which is... Uh, that's, like, that's like the that's the American hub. Outside of uh, Sierra Leone, actually. Basically, yeah, it is, exactly. So I have a lot of family out there, very close family. And one of my uncles was saying, hey, you could move to Maryland. You can go to University of Maryland. I could get you in. I'm I'm an alumni of that good stuff. I said, no, I'm moving to California. So after I moved to California, my parents didn't really stop me. I mean, whatever, not to say whatever I wanted to do, but I was 18, going to make decisions for myself. So a friend of mine helped me getting to university, college out in California. And my parents, they all always thought, I don't know, remember if it was my mom or my dad asked me or said they thought I was moving to California because I wanted to get to the movie industry. Oh, wow. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. But, but, but my response to that is never, never was interested in, in acting. And I always say like, even like making music and stuff like that, I couldn't 
couldn't rap to save my life. I just, it was never a thought of mine. I wasn't thinking of California as that. I was just thinking, I mean, the, the interesting thing, the real reason as to why I moved to California was in high school, my best friend and I lived, I mean, lived with us, but his entire family was in California. So I figured if I, my brilliant idea was if I moved to California, then when it was time for him to move to the States, we would just reconnect. So since he lived with my family, I get to live with his family, which I ended up doing, but he didn't move to California to like, I mean, maybe 10 years after that. So that grand plan didn't work, but I mean, <laughs> that's technically how I moved um, to California. But yeah, so I mean, while wow, in California. Man. So come to find out the family thought that you were, um, you were actually coming out here for acting, things that sort, because you obviously coming to Hollywood. Well, I mean, they thought maybe there was some little... Thing there where that's part of what I wanted to pursue but I was only coming here like most immigrant kids for an education I mean I was just I applied to college got in and I'm like hey I'm gonna go to California so and um, I think I made a good choice by moving to California because I was moving from one warm place to another warm place and you already know the, the whole story like, I always think California is still one of the, the most beautiful states because I can't now say it's the best state I'll give it the most beautiful states in I mean the US so I mean, but going to that now, obviously, as I moved to the States, my roommate, so Sule, Usman, these are like my brothers, older brothers. These are our brothers, really. For sure. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Kind of like brought me into this family called Leon Stars of Southern California, which is like a soccer. So football for all those who call it football in America, we call it soccer. It was kind of like a soccer club. And through that, that's how I got to meet um, Ralph. I mean, and it was... Pretty much, I was a freshman, and I think Ralph was still in high school. Um, you were still in high school, right? Yep, yep, definitely. 11th grade. Okay, cool. I think um, Ralph's mom's house was um, actually the meeting place for these meetings. So in the garage, since they don't have basements, the, the garage normally, people's garage is normally in California set up with like everything, TV, couch, the whole nine. So Ralph's mom's house was the meeting place. Ralph's mom could throw it down, could cook. So all these guys, soccer players, and all these people would come and meet. And when we got there, I, Ralph, and our friend Kai, Kai Kamara, who's a professional soccer player, were the youngest um, kids in the room. And we were sitting there with probably men really twice our age and, and things of that nature. So we weren't really interested in the meeting or whatever they were doing. So we um we left. I mean, Ralph was like, he came up to me, hi, my name's Ralph, whatever. We kind of talked. We went outside. We just started hanging out. That's really how the friendship of um, Ralph and I started. So it was had nothing to do with business. We weren't even thinking about business then. We were just hanging around um um each each other. And over time, we kept in touch because we used to actually meet every weekend down um in los angeles can't re I, I can't really ever remember the name of that place but um we always met there and just hung out played basketball played soccer every weekend literally R rancho sienica park and for any la listeners this is that park right next door to dorsey high school off of obama there boulevard now but it was rodeo exactly in la brea so there you go that doubt in the hood but but it, it, was, it was it was a safety net for us though based on the community yeah, yeah. we used to meet out there, and over time, as we met, Ralph and I kind of just started figuring out, like, as the young ones, whatever we were doing, I mean, we kind of got into, like, I would say, we were hustlers. We were what you would call dead, I mean, starting the entrepreneurial journey. We maybe didn't know that that's what we were doing, but 
Ralph was flipping cars. Ralph always had these like um, hooked up Hondas and fancy cars that he would drive by. And um, for me, I, I think seeing somebody, my peer, do these things, because I wasn't seeing a lot of that around some of the other people we hung around, but seeing that kind of like sparked things inside of me. And I said, okay, I'm going to find some stuff to do. So over the years, I mean, we kind of dabbled. Ralph flipped cars. I literally was, one of the first things I did was, um, I, I used to go to these, uh, what, they weren't swap meets. They were these um, fashion, high-end fashion uh, warehouses around LA that sold designer stuff. And I would go buy like Rock and Republic jeans and I would buy a whole stock of Rock and Republic jeans. Gen Rock and Republic jeans were pretty popular. They, um, they would be selling at Nordstrom for like four or 500 bucks and I would go buy them for maybe like $80. And sometimes I'll double, triple the price, sell it to, depending, friends, people around, or whatever the case might be. That was kind of like my first hustling. I just tried to make and, money. And, Ceci, it, and, and you had a payment plan too, man. So remember, we were able to pay hey, you. Hey, man. I want to say Buy like, now, pay later. <laughs> $50 dollars <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So everything you guys are seeing with car and that, things that I sort, Cecil been doing it, man. Come on. We started all that stuff, buy now, pay later. Because, I mean, yeah, I'm still selling these things to my friends for $200. We're young. I mean, right, are right. that much money. So you could pay me $50 maybe every week, every month, or whatever the case might be. And then I moved up, and I said, okay, um, um, this is now along the lines of having graduated college and doing all these things. Got my first job as a recruiter. But then I, while I was also working as a recruiter, needed to make more money. I bought a um I bought a vending machine. So well it wasn't just one. I bought this vending machine route, which was um about Yeah, route. Exactly. Yeah, it was like fifteen machines. So the interesting thing about this to quickly say it is I bought this vending machine route after having done a lot of research online and the day they were supposed to deliver my vending machines, I was I was at work. So the lady calls me and she's like, What do you want me to do with these machines? <laughs> I said, Um, uh, can you take it to my house? She's like, Well, do you we can help you place them? I said how much I said for a fee? I said, oh, how much? She told me how much it was. I don't really remember how much it was. And then I said, okay. So she went and placed my 15 vending machines in different places around it um, where I lived. And after work and over the month, I was supposed to then just travel to all these places and find my machines and introduce myself to the owners. So you're talking about like a cold call where you walk into a place and say, hi, my name is Cecil. And the machine that's sitting in the corner over there is mine. And some of these cats will like take it and then you have to convince them for you to, for them to keep and these were candy bending machines the kind of like stuff you find skittles and stuff in so pretty interesting stuff right. but yeah so but, but um, says did, didn't didn't you go if i remember right man didn't you go to one of your vending machines and it was like broken into or something like that and that's what kind of like took you over the edge with with vending or it was some scenario well, if i'm not mistaken well, it wasn't you <laughs> It wasn't even it wasn't even broken into so I used to go buy my candy at Costco, come and fill out my machines, and then at the end of a a cycle, when you come back, you literally open the back of the machines and all these coins just come falling out because obviously you were low on candy and you refill. So I used to have one of my machines at this um at this garage. It was like a like tire shop, garage, mechanic, whatever. And Came in one day and the guy had, my machine was empty. So I'm walking from a distance looking <laughs> at this machine. It's empty. I'm excited. I'm like, yes, because I think after each empty machine was like six, seven hundred dollars or something like that. So I get in there now and um, 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 
oh, so I'm like, I'm excited. These cats didn't say anything to me. They just said, hi, looked at me, whatever. I unlocked the back of my machine. There's absolute, there's not even one coin in it. Whoa. And I'm sitting there thinking like, what the hell is going on? So they had figured out how to open the back of, like they had figured out how to open the machine in the back at the top, because at the top of the back is where you put the candy. And at the bottom is where the coins go in and the coins come out. So they just would open the machine, take the Skittles, take whatever candy, and they literally emptied out. And the guy said to me, I said, where's my money? Because the candy's gone. And his response was like, take your machine if you don't want to keep it in here. I'm like, well, what's the point of keeping it if I'm going to put candy for you? So I was so pissed. I literally took that machine, tossed it in the trash. And that was a cut at the end of that business. I had to liquidate um, a lot of those machines because it's interesting because I had taken a loan from a few of my friends to buy those machines. Luckily, I broke even, made a little bit of profit, but I had to just liquidate the rest of the machines and that was the end of that business, man. Wow, crazy, man. Well, similar story, you know, on mine with the, with the car flipping in, but let me at least give the audience a, a backstory of exactly who I am and where exactly y'all come from, um, um, you know, and, and how I ended up here, man. Uh, so originally, I was born in Atlanta. A lot of people do not know that. I'm a Grady baby for all my ATLians. Um, but a day before my first birthday, I actually moved to Southern California. Um, and uh, we moved on into West L.A. Uh, I would say, you know, I went to school, elementary school, things of that sort in West L.A. But my true, my true, uh, what should I call it? My true upbringing came from Crenshaw and Slauson. It came from the Crenshaw district. Which is where I met you, which is where I met Kai, which is where I met Nipsey. This is where we became best friends at. Crenshaw Slauson was ground zero. Um, so we, um, you know, start off with Crenshaw Slauson. And, and, and from there, though, Seth, like, I feel like that environment really bred who I was truly able to become. You know, uh, my mother, my mother, single mother, uh, immigrant mother. She's the first of our family to come to America. Came to America literally with no address to go to. She just needed to land in Amer land at JFK. And then from there, a hey, you know, God be with her. And she ended up finding the route to one of my uncle's houses and things that sort of built up from there. So, you know, starting with that, like that basis really showed me the raw grind and hustle. Match that with match that with seeing the raw grind and hustle on Crenshaw Slossing. It, it kind of showed me, looking back at it now, showed me what my passion truly was. And when did I start tapping into that passion? Since I started tapping in, one, buying candy with uh, uh with, with Nipsey and Black Sam in middle school. We'd go to Smart and Final, buy a pack of candy for 20 bucks, uh, take it to school. By the time we left school, we end up with 40, 45 bucks, split the profit. And hey, we had money for the, for the next day for school lunch. We had money for the weekend, things of that sort. But then, Sess, I kind of took it to the next level when I when I got into the car flipping. I mean, Sess, I remember you riding with me in a couple of those cars where it's just like, yo, bro, this is kind of risky. But hey, Sess, I, I put up $250. You know, I put up $250 to buy that car. Um, I was at AutoZone, so I was able to use the mechanics. I was able to use my discount on parts and things of that sort. Clean the cars up, Sess. And my first flip was a $250 Honda CRX. Uh, and I ended up flipping that for $750 after I cleaned it up and primed it. Then took that $750, bought a Honda Accord, and then went and rinsed and repeat, and, and the rest was history. So I kind of get where, you know, 
you know, my, 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 you know, my down, my downtime within the car flipping was, you know, buying a car with the engine busted. It's like, man, you know, uh, just like when you found out that news of your vending machine being empty, but no coins in there. It's just like, yo, I found out that this car had a blown engine and yes, it set me back. But the premise was, is that I kept going and, you know, I kept rolling, man. You and I went into uh, different businesses, things that spiraled out of control. And today, a day like this, you know, we have our own podcast and everything else going on. I mean, Ralph and I, I mean, even that's, I, I like to say this, and, and that's the journey of an entrepreneur. For all new entrepreneurs out there, for all the young entrepreneurs thinking about getting into entrepreneurship, nobody just starts with one thing and figures it out. And then, I mean, like, even when you take people like not people like unicorns, because these are unicorns, these are people who we don't get to see them. But if you think about the average and the everyday entrepreneur, from a very young age, they've been dabbling into things, selling candy, school, and all these little things. It doesn't just happen overnight. So for us, we had to figure, we had, I mean, maybe we even started earlier than that, but I mean, we're starting the journey from me moving to LA and, and having to figure these things out. And I've always said, I'm not a hustler, but I've had to hustle my way when times got tough in life to figure things out and all these little things and small businesses kind of compound to teaching you about different elements um, of business. So with all that said, I mean, Ralph and I, um, as we moved into college and all these things, we, we, were, we became part of a group called the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So we were, I mean, this is, bro, this was what, 14 years ago? I mean, we were talking about, it was a mastermind. Essentially, that's what it was. And it was a group of... Um, it really was a mastermind. 10 black yeah, men. Yeah, 10 black men who all wanted to do something with their lives. Because what it used to be, we, we all got, we met because they were kind of pillars in within the group. So Ralph, OB, and uh, well, you you and you and OB really were the pillars where um, you, some of you guys went to high school, knew each other since Correct. high school. Some of us went Long to Beach college. And, yeah. and, and exactly. And then the rest were like, okay, good friends. And they heard about what we were doing and said, hey, I like the positivity of what you guys are trying to create. Can I be a part of it? So there's 10 of us and... Um, we literally just started having meetings. Well, it wasn't formal. We were meeting at Ralph's apartment where we called the, the lab. And we just used to go. We would meet after work on, on, on weekends to go party. We'd go to Hollywood. Like, we would go party. And after meeting for so long, we said, guys, like we're all intelligent black men. Let's do something a little bit more productive with our time rather than just coming together, go to Hollywood party and whatever. So we decided to form the league where... We would force and challenge each other to create, I guess we call businesses of our own. Not everybody wanted to create a business because we have Thomas who wanted to be a doctor. And uh, I think he did become a doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he did end up becoming a doctor. Yeah. Shout out Thomas, man, for sure. So shout out to Thomas. But real quick story about Thomas. Everybody had ventures we wanted to become. And Thomas used to come every week and say, I just want to be a doctor. So whatever it takes to figure out what it's going to take to be a doctor, that's what I want to do. None of us knew what it took none of us could figure that out so he would just every time it was his turn to like give an update on what he was doing he would just tell us he's studying for his exams or whatever he just and he would just say i just want to be a doctor right facts i remember bro yep you're right yeah so shout out to Thomas. he did become a doctor so i mean that's just how we were elevating each other and stuff like that but that's how it started and um it kind of started where i mean 
Rob, you want to tell them about Twins House? I mean, that's kind of really where the business side of it started. So Cecil saying the Twins House, this was a set of friends that we had that were actual homeowners back then. You know, we're trying to do our thing, but we had apartments, still lived at home. These guys had an actual home in Inglewood, California, which is a, one of the hottest areas in L.A. right now. And, we, you know, it, it was funny because now that we look back, we're so ahead of our time. We actually used that home as a venue to have some sort of an expo, a business expo. And this is where, you know, I presented on um, the different car, you know, the different car options that I had. Uh, we had our friend Kenny that had a car wash, a car detailing business, Soapy Suds, and he presented on that. Yep. Um, we had different businesses, different ventures that we all envisioned, you know, bringing into fruition. And this is what we presented. Uh, we had all of our friends from the LA area come by. You know, it, it was it was poised as a function, but at the same time, we made sure to have an educative and an actual progressive aspect of the party well, I, I think we even cleared out like their living room to turn it into like, you know, like an expo hall where everybody has their booth. <laughs> so we had like, like stations and we even had like friends who weren't part of the, the, the 10 group, the 10, the 10 men to kind of like have their little thing set up and talk about what they were doing. Cause it was just like, Hey, let's just get the neighborhood together. We would buy food. We would buy drinks. And they had a pool outside. So after we were done with the whole like networking, then we would kind of just turn it into like a barbecue and um, people would just come and have fun. So, I mean, this was kind of like an exciting thing where we, we did work and play at, at the same time. But the interesting thing, the funny thing about that particular day was the 10 of us had um, had this day where we were fast. Well, not even a day. I think it was a whole month where we were, we were fasting and we were trying to manifest things. So like a whole month, we said we weren't going to drink alcohol. So here we are throwing an event. And in the, at, <laughs> at night, everybody was being, we had, we had bought a lot of alcohol. People were coming to drink and we couldn't drink. Oh, we weren't supposed, we didn't drink that day, but we couldn't drink. So the whole night we're seeing people go in the kitchen, make drinks and all that stuff. And we're making drinks for them. So we couldn't drink. Then we had the bright idea well, for us to feel a part of something we actually put together. We would go and buy non-alcoholic beer. So we drove down to um, the grocery store and got Odoo's. So this is for you guys who don't know what Odoo's is. Odoo's is like, it's, it's just beer. It just doesn't have alcohol in it. And I mean, now they have all these Heineken Zero, but they didn't have those things back then. Everything was Odoo's. So we got the Odoo's. We came. Everybody was just chilling, drinking. People didn't know it, they didn't have alcohol. They just thought like, okay, because we couldn't tell them we were doing this whole thing. So that was interesting. And um, that's just kind of how we started. But I think as we progressed, I mean, it was it was good times. It was good times. It showed a lot of our mentality. Oh, yeah. You know, we were able to be focused and, and had a level of self-discipline in the beginning of our journey. And I think that that's key for people to hear because that is... It, some discipline and some focus is necessary, even if you don't know what you want to get into. Because at this point, we didn't really know that we were secure in our career paths, but we just knew that I could. Look, man, we can't just drink every weekend, settle down and, 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 and make some progress on something. And, and we all knew that. Second, the network, man, that collective kept us all grounded. You know, I would have felt weird going out and, oh, well, guys, you're not going to Hollywood. I'm going out to Hollywood to party tonight, but my other nine friends are not. And they're getting rest for a, a expo tomorrow. I would have felt certain type of way. So I want to say the network really, um, the network really, you know, played a role. And that's a lesson to be learned in this. 
Yeah, and, and the group forced us to make sacrifices. And that's how Ralph and I started Royal Dynamite. So like Ralph said, the, the group of us forced accountability. It, for, it forced sacrifices. It forced discipline. And that discipline was... What, so what we said to ourselves was we were all trying to get to a place, start small businesses. It didn't matter what it was. So every week when we met, we would come up with ideas and we would vet the ideas. We'll poke hole in the ideas. If we didn't like it, the person had to come back and answer questions. So for me, from that day, I mean, from when we started this whole thing, I said, I'm going to start a t-shirt line and um, didn't have a name for it. Didn't have all the stuff. I just was like, I want to start a t-shirt line. They're like, why? I'm like, well, it started off with my passion for wearing graphic tees, but I had to create a problem. I mean, I said, okay, a lot of young people wear t-shirts and, and all the, the, the interesting stuff. So people would ask questions as to why, where I was from and all these things. And we had to figure out how we would create a, a, a problem to solve because it wasn't just, oh, let me just start a t-shirt line because everybody would start a t-shirt line. So as we were trying to solve these problems, I realized I couldn't do it by myself. So I said, hey, I need a business partner. So I looked in the room and I said, okay, I have a lot of in, in common with Ralph. We're, we're from the same background. I've known him longer than probably I've known everybody else in the room. We were we were solid friends. So I mean, and I think he had he had a tenacity and a personality that I didn't have. I'm a little bit more reserved. I'm somebody who just I I, mean, I like to observe and maybe my skill sets. I mean, if you want to put it this way, my skill sets were very different from his. He was more outwardly, and I'm probably more of an introvert. And I thought, okay, this would help. And I thought Ralph was working at AutoZone. He, I mean, both of us had a retail experience, but I think he was okay. He'd already made it to like manager. So I'm like, okay, this guy's going to understand certain parts of retail that I don't understand. So let's do this. And I approached him and I said, yo, Ralph, you want to be my business partner in this? We ironed out everything about business partner. Ralph's father-in-law ended up um, helping us with, with getting certain structures in place. Doesn't mean we had it all figured out, but then in 2010, we registered the business, we figured out the name, and we came up with the name Royal Dynamite. And that's kind of how the business of Royal Dynamite um, started in. I mean, we started with 100 T's, which we, I think $500 each is what we invested. We found a printer um, in Bellflower, printed it, and then I said, okay, Ralph, we need to sell the T's. It's not my strong point. Ralph's like, I mean, less. Well, well, that's exactly Put everything in right. his trunk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's where it came out to, because again, says my skills of selling candy you know, back in the day, all these different things. This is my time selling a T-shirt that had a hot logo, had a hot design. Oh, that's easy work, man. And and our first T was don't say anything said that, but that first T was a our logo. Well, so this is the logo right here. You can see, but uh, the RD logo in in kind of like a goldish yellow, and then the T was black. And that the song with um what's his name um Wiz Khalifa was hot. Black and yellow, black and yellow. So that was like the first, um, I guess, set of teas that we made. And we were just selling it to our friends. So Ralph would put it in the trunk. We'll go down to L.A. and Oh, yeah. We're, we're, I mean, Seth, we're pulling up to every party. I mean, every party, we're going there to have fun. But business first, man. And, and, and we created such a... Guys, this was before, you know, social media really was a hit. You know what I mean? I mean, we had MySpace, and I want to say Facebook was still kind of well. Facebook was becoming it was becoming popular because that's kind of where we we built the whole brand. I mean, but we were using our network again of friends. Exactly, it was just straight uh, social media. Then, with Facebook, was really just social. 
there was no business aspect to it now, like where you got ads, you got pages, things of that sort, you know, but, but we made it, we made this stuff so popular by being so grassroots and, and tapping to our network that since we sold those teas out, we sold a hundred teas out in less than a month. And I remember that vividly because first of all, thank goodness for the song. We banked off the song. So we go to parties that are going to be playing with Khalifa black and yellow wearing that shirt. People would ask us where they get it from. And after a certain point in time, people started knowing when I see Cecil and Ralph at a party, I'm going to ask them straight up before you come in, let me go to the truck. Let me get a selection of what you got. Cause it's hot. You know, we did pop-ups all over. I mean, we did pop-ups in Melrose, downtown LA, um, Santa Monica. I mean, we did pop-ups everywhere. I mean, a little bit later down the line, we grew the branch where we're doing pop-ups internationally. I want to say we're probably the first ones to do a pop-up in Sierra Leone from a fashion perspective. Yeah, I remember when when we said we were going to do a pop-up in Sierra Leone, we made this flyer and we were like, pop-up shop. Well, I think it was just initially just a pop-up shop. So people were like asking me like, you don't live in Sierra Leone, you have a shop? I'm like, no. They're like, well, what's this pop-up? I'm like, it's just a space where you gather with friends and people just to sell stuff and you know what I mean? So we made a pop-up, but every time we make pop-ups in Sierra Leone, I mean, we were bad kids. Those, those pop-ups, because people wanted what we were making. You know, and, and the, the exclusivity of it all, where it wasn't readily available to them, but it was, you know, when it was readily available, we were coming with two massive duffel bags through Freetown Airport. Through we had like what? Two, three hundred, sometimes oh, 500 yeah. t-shirts. And the goal was we were going to be there for two weeks. We got to sell everything out. And and I remember the first pop-up because I remember and that was one that you weren't able to go. And I ran that pop-up, Sess, and we sold out at Gina's on Wilkinson Road in four hours. Yeah. And Sess, <laughs> remember you were getting mad at me because you're like, Ralph, I told you to hold these items. And I said, Sess, the purpose is making money. I, we had to have crowd control. That's how bad it was. Crowd control to keep them from coming upstairs and just snatching well, everything. Well, because I had people sending me messages saying, I need this t-shirt, I need that t-shirt. And I'm making promises I couldn't keep. So I'm telling Ralph, can you own four t-shirts? He was like, bro, people want to buy these things now. I'm sorry, but I can't keep it for your friends. So I was like, I had to tell them like, fair enough. And so it became this thing where people would always just see Ralph as the villain when it came to things. So it kind of became this thing where for me, when I didn't want to deal with people within, I mean, my friends or even certain things, I'll just be like, talk to Ralph. So over time, I think that's how we settled with our responsibilities where kind of Ralph started handling the operations of the brand, which came now to obviously production, screen printing, shipping. And then I handled, I kind of oversaw many things, but I mean, more on the design side what the t-shirts were going to look like, graphic design, handled the people and all these different things and, and, and finances would deal with whoever was handling that finances and stuff like that. So we had a good separation of responsibility. I think you should tap into that from that perspective, especially from a creative perspective, because at that point you were in charge of managing the relationships, you know, you, the relationships with designers, the relationships with other brands, the relationships that we leverage, man. So I'd like for you to tap into that a little bit, please. To tap into that, it's it's crazy because living in LA, Ralph was born in LA, lived in LA all his entire life. And some of the collaborations, well, every collaborate major collaboration we've ever had is because of Ralph. So these were his relationships that he had. So people keep in mind, um, we're talking about um one of our first um collaborations with, with was with Seth Brundle, one of our friends, and um 
you will get to hear more from him. He did our first photo shoot. He was a stylist, then was very connected to the fashion industry. He did, we actually did a collection with him. And then we moved on to Issa Rae, where, he was doing, where she was doing Awkward Black Girl. And we did two collaborations with her. So these were Rawson um, relationships, but it was my responsibility to manage these collaborations and work with the graphic designer. So one of the thing, uh, one thing I guess I could always say I'm good at, I was very good at envisioning what I want designs to look like, what I wanted a website to look like. I'm not like very technical in like my maybe my background is, but I'm not like the guy who's gonna code things, who's gonna design things. So I would draw up the designs or write up like script spot designs, write up what I wanted the website or draw up a mock-up of what I wanted the website and stuff to look like. And then I would go on and hire. I mean then I think we had upwork. There was no Fiverr even back then. And I'd have to find people or I'd have to find on 99 designs and cases like that where we'd find designers, give them these um, write-ups and say, this is what I'm looking to do. So our first 10 designs, we worked with a guy out of Italy called Blackjack and he designed like the first 10 designs for us. And everything I wrote on paper, this guy literally transformed it into a design that exactly was what maybe I envisioned in my mind. And that was mind-blowing. So I managed all those things just to make sure, okay, now we got our designs. Then when Ralph, I mean, I'd say, hey, Ralph, we need a collaboration. We need some big name or we need somebody that's going to help us get to where we needed to get to. And he would go out and make the connections. And then I would come and manage the process, get contracts together, um, just make sure we were doing things in the right way. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these people we had personal relationships with and we didn't want to throw away that personal relationship. So we still had to make sure we structured up things properly from a business standpoint. So we would kind of separate play or personal relationships and the business aspect of it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, then I mean, you all know how it gets murky with these kinds of things. So we really did that. Um, but, but when Royal Dynamite really, um, I, I guess you kind of say blew up was when we did this. Oh, so the t-shirt I'm wearing, the Freetown, is when we did that, then things, I mean, well, I, I think from ABG, we started getting a lot, yeah, we started getting a lot of traction with the Awkward Black Girl and Issa Rae, and um, people started knowing who we were. Um, LA, most people in LA now, people who were fans of her brand, because we did these contests, we, we were very interactive with the way we created the brand and the way we wanted to interact with the fans and all these things. So people started coming to the website. We would have people, I'd have people, Twitter. I had so many friends on Twitter because of that, but I had no idea who they were. And I mean, so think about fast forward to today, people who are building brands and they're building all these influence and all, all these, that's what we were doing. We were partnering with influencers to make sure we get the message out there. And we just continued that. I mean, our most recent one, which we did was Kai Kamar. What if your clothing choices could make a difference in your community? Introducing Royal Dynamite, a t-shirt line founded in Los Angeles with deep roots in Sierra Leone. Our founders met in the U.S. with a passion for streetwear and a commitment to giving back to their community. With every t-shirt purchase, we donate a portion of our profits to support education and entrepreneurship programs in Sierra Leone and other parts of the world. Our t-shirts not only represent your personal style, but also your dedication to community and making a difference in the world. Join us in creating a world where your clothing choices are statement pieces and an extension of who you are. Shop now and make an impact. Use the discount code for 20% of your purchase, FAMBABRD20, F-A-M-B-A-B-R-D-20. 
this will give you 20% off your first purchase. Go to royaldynamite.com, R-O-Y-A-L-D-Y-N-A-M-I-T-E, royaldynamite.com. And, and just to tap into Freetown and, and to, you know, yes, Freetown was our, our big break. But but I want the audience to understand that that big break, th- this is, you know, and this is something that should be addressed in the entrepreneurship world, in the world of business, was that big break was kind of unmanageable because it just went too, it went too wildfire where honestly, yeah, we grew, it grew so fast that we could not keep up with demand. And when you can't keep up with demand, obviously there's money left on the table. But guys, Freetown became bigger than Royal Dynamite. It, be- it, it We started being known as those Freetown guys. Oh, you know, in our language, them, but when we, we, we get in Freetown, them. You know, those, those guys, those boys that created the Freetown shirts that you see everywhere. And the, the inspiration from that really came from, again, growing up off Crenshaw Slauson and me seeing Nipsey create that Crenshaw and me seeing Wale rock that Legos hat. And I said, yo, Seth, you know, hold on, man. I'm inspired by this because I am from Crenshaw. But at the same time, let's represent for the hometown, Freetown, and created the design and it went like wildfire, man. So I just wanted to give a little bit of I mean, it's it's the simplest thing we 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 created, and 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 from Ralph's perspective, that's what it was. And from me, when I was creating it, I'm like, it's like people travel to these big cities like New York, Los Angeles, um, Tokyo. I mean, you could always buy. I love New York. I love LA. So I'm like, okay, well, why don't we rep for this? I mean, for our city. But I mean, our goal was to literally take this and rep every city in Africa, which hopefully we still get to do. But we were like, let's start with, with Roots. Let's start with home. And then we made this free time. We put the crown on top of it, which was just kind of like a signifier for our branding and just a little design element to it. And yes, it took us to the next level where, I mean, we built up rack. We, we, we started building that brand. And from there, like I, like I said, our most recent thing we did with Kai was we made a jersey to align with the Nations Cup that happened a couple of years ago. And we put Sierra Leone on it. So just these brand identifies things. I think what I'm trying to say is for people looking to start a brand, especially if you want to go into clothing, as much as you want to make, one of the problems that you're solving is an emotional connect. If you can connect to, this is just a t-shirt. It's a piece of clothing. It's a hat. You can buy a t-shirt and a hat anywhere in the world. But if you can connect to people emotionally and for something that is near and dear to their hearts, then you can get them to be paying customers. So for us with that, it was where they were from. It, it's that idea of representing the New York Yankees, the New York Knicks, the Los Angeles Knicks. So same thing, like you said, um, Nipsey with the Crenshaw uh, um, t-shirt, um, while he was wearing the Lagos hat to say, I'm, hey, I'm from Nigeria, I'm from Lagos. So for us, we could connect to this is hall, this is where we are, this is where we rep. That emotional connection you make will touch the hearts of people and they will keep buying from it until today. It's still the biggest part of our, of our brand. So, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are with, with the journey of that. And then, I mean, I guess if we touch a little bit on, cause we're, we're talking about entrepreneurship, but th- this is also how we came to be. I mean, um, I'll, I'll say it in just the toilet. This is me shifting into like family a little bit. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, no, no. I, I was going to say, yes, you know, this is, it, you know, at the end of the day, this podcast is about entrepreneurship, but we both know and we all should know that family 
played a big role. So I, I just wanted to, you know, just to compound that. Oh yeah, it, it's at the core. It's at the core of, of who we are today and what we 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 become because um, eighteen months into starting this brand, so we've been in business since twenty eighteen. About eighteen months into starting this brand, I clearly remember Ralph giving me a call and saying, "Bro, I need to talk to you." And I was like, "Okay," and he's like, "Are you sitting down?" I'm like, "No, I'm driving." He's like, "Well, whenever you get on." Hit me up and then just make sure. So I'm kind of like worried now. Like, what is he calling about? He's like, oh, nothing to worry about. Nothing like alarming or anything. Like, it's just call me when you're sit, uh, you in a comfortable place. So I get home quickly, call him. And um, he says to me, Ken's pregnant. And we're having our first son, child. I'm like, okay. So in my mind, it's racing. Like, well, I mean, and then he, the first thing he proceeds to say to me after he's told me that is, don't worry. Royal Dynamite's not dying. Because we used to call Ra Royal Dynamite our baby, our first child. And then now Ralph is having his first son. But but the but we're having a real baby now. And we're still kind of like maybe mid-20s. Like, well, I was thinking I was late 20s. So, like, everything in my mind is thinking like, oh, my God, everything's about to change. What about, like, how do we even raise a child and start a new business? Like, how do we figure this out? So... I mean, there were times where we had to, like, I mean, we had to go with Kingston to meetings. We were going to, I mean, we would put Kingston in, in the car seat and in the little rocker and everything and taking the meetings. Ralph used to have the strap on with the baby and just take Kingston to meetings. But it literally, Kingston being born changed the way we had to operate in doing business because we weren't these young guys anymore who could just stay working till three four five in the morning because we used to do that but now ralph had to go home to a family and that changed everything and and but the interesting thing is ralph and i married what we would call our college sweethearts i mean i'd been with my wife now since i was uh, 19 and ralph about the same age but those relationships started in college and i think so it's been over i mean over i probably say even over 20 years now and i think that helped us build just that longevity of what we were doing i mean yes those relationships had ups and downs battle tested trials and tribulations but for us to still be where we are today shows the longevity and the perseverance that of what we started with our significant others and it's the same effort we put into making sure we build together success a successful brand and business so i mean rob you tell I mean, tell me a little bit about, for me, I, I, I'll, I'll give them a little hint about how it started, but I kind of want to know for you where it started with you and Kim, because I think you guys met um, in college, right? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we met uh, We met first semester uh, at Cal State Dominguez Hills. We both went to Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, we both lived in the dorms. And, um, no, I remember... I, I remember seeing Kim and saying, like, man, I want to, you know, really holler at her and, and, and see what's going on. Uh, but Kim put up a, a heavy chase, you know, uh, you know, I had to really put in uh, work and really, really pay my dividends in order to even get on a date, man. I remember, I mean, this is college. This is, you know, this is college life, man. Uh, we're, we're broke college students. And I remember our first date unofficially was going to the McDonald's around the corner and grabbing something to eat, you know, but technically looking back at it now, that was actually our first date. But I mean, if I had that known that it'd be categorized as such, I probably would have chose something a little bit better, man. Olive Garden, 
something of the sort, man. Something. <laughs> well, anyway, this, this this is our college life, son. So got to start somewhere. Started from the bottom. Oh yeah, definitely, man. So I think that, that you know that's where it started, and um, you know she plays a, a great role in everything I do in business now. Um, she played a great role in building me up to where I'm at now by keeping me grounded, keeping me focused. Um, so now it's just all about now taking things to the next level and, you know, and enjoying the fruits of our labor. I mean, yeah. So Ralph has three boys. Um, so he, I mean, he has the ultimate family. For me, my story with my wife is I've known my wife since childhood, which is crazy. Like our parents have known each other since way back in the day in Sierra Leone. We connected, I think, for the first time in 2008. So basically, as soon as I was finishing my first year or something like that in college, um, we connected again in 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 the DMV of all places, Maryland, and um, we dated the same same thing. Like I remember my wife coming over for my birthday with my cousin to surprise me, and I was like, okay, shorty looked bad, and um, I we just we 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 just had fun for two weeks. I think it was summer, and she went back to Ohio where she was. I'm going to college, and um. We would talk every day on the phone for hours and I'd be trying to convince her to date me. She's like, how is this going to work? You don't even live in Maryland. You live all across the country. We're broke students. Um, how would I even see you? I was just like, we'll figure that stuff out. She's like, nah, this is not going to work. But I was persistent. Like, I wouldn't stay on the phone with her for hours. I mean, then we had landlines. So I would stay on my aunt's landline till it was morning at times. And she would be waking up to go to work. And then I will tell her to like, hold on. I'll pretend to be sleeping on the couch. And then as soon as she walked out the door, I'll get back on the phone and um, we'll just start talking. But I mean, exactly. So, I mean, since then, we've just, I mean, we've been into this. I mean, so you're talking about 19, 20 plus years and about what, four years ago. Well, we got married about uh, what six years ago, about four years ago, had our first son. And I guess I started my journey as a proper family man, building a brand to Atlanta, Georgia, to start a new, kind of a, a new journey in, in, in what we're doing. And it's been an interesting journey. And and just like you said, I think having been with my wife, I mean, as girlfriend and boyfriend and girlfriend, and then um, marriage for so long has, has helped me. I mean, it's not, I'm not going to tell you it's been pretty the whole time. It's, it's a transition. We've had our challenges, but here we are now trying to build. And my wife has been the rock. Like, my wife has been a rock for this relationship and I mean here we are building and now our wives are giving us a platform oh yeah definitely man they always say that you know you don't really know your wife until you live with her and I say that that's actual facts man uh where yeah I didn't I didn't really I didn't really know the true Kim until I, I moved in with her yeah I mean it's funny that you say that because I was listening to another um something on social media where the guy says uh why a lot of marriages fail and he said Everything till you get to the altar is everything you've had, like your relationship in the past. Everything you say I do for is the unknown. It's what you don't know. So a lot of people don't even think about it that, okay, now that I'm saying I do, I'm not saying I do for the past. I'm saying I do for the future till death do us part. You have to figure that out. I mean, it's not going to be perfect. So we have endured, we've gotten to that part now and we're trying to figure these things out. And here we are now as full-time entrepreneurs. We've gotten to this point because it wasn't always that. It was always the struggle of, okay, I need a job to keep myself afloat. I need a job to fund my businesses. I need a job to keep my family together and all these things. But now we're able to be in a position where we can take this journey 
because we have the stability, because we have the stability in relationships, in family, our kids, and 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 our businesses, and our and our relationship as friends. Because Ralph and I have never ever really had a major like, okay, we're like fight. Even I mean, we've had our differences sometimes. Where <laughs> I mean, he probably doesn't even know these things. Where we're having like an argument, like on Zoom or on the phone, and. He would like his voice would get really sterling. Not like okay, like um, I I I, I got put it down now. So, but it was all love because it was just. I mean, at the end of the day, we knew where we stood with things, and we we always knew we had a hustler's mentality. And I always used to tell Ralph, now we have to take this mentality and figure out how to build a brand, how to build a business. I mean, like Jay Z said, I'm not a business, I'm a businessman. So that's kind of what we have are trying to do. And I mean, we've always stayed. E-commerce is the front-facing. Well, Royal Dynamic has been the front-facing of what we do. I think on the back end, we've done so many things and and we continue. So in the future, today, Ralph has a fleet of, of, of cars on Turo. Ralph ha- is a multi-unit subway owner in the IE. I mean, he's a ser- what I guess what you call a serial entrepreneur. And he's figured out how to do all these things. I'm not saying it's easy, but at the end of the day, He's figured out how to do these things and make sure he's, he's, he's doing things in the right way and, and building these brands and businesses. But me, I mean, I most recently, when I transitioned to become a full-time, I spent most of my time running Royal Dynamite full-time. I, I blog or I write. Um, I have a passion for personal finance and I have this uh, brand called See Me Fly Money where, I mean, I talk about personal finance passionately and that's some one of the brands that I want to grow into something because this is probably more so for me second nature it's the journey that i have been through of what it takes a young kid to get into debt and have to try to figure out the system of getting out of it and while you're doing that you're figuring out so many other things about the financial system about the economic system of not just the united states but the world so um i mean essentially ralph and i are in this for the long haul that is one of the reasons we started this podcast we really want to um, be in a position to tell our stories, but also we want to share the stories of others because there's so many people out there who've built massive brands and this will allow us to build a network with those people, but also get you, the audience, to hear from these people so we can all learn what it takes to to, to put a foundation together to build brands and scale them. So Exactly. You know, Seth, like, you know, during my journey, a lot of people have reached out to me and, and aimed to, uh, you know, ask me how to how to do certain things. And it just wasn't feasible to be able to respond back to thousands of people on my Instagram, on my Facebook, things of that sort. So it, it was key. It was key that we started this um, this podcast because there's a lot of people like you and I that are family men that are building a brand, building different businesses don't know what the journey looks like, don't know what to expect. And, and also they don't have the technicals. And so that's why I feel like, you know, this is why this podcast is here. So one, explain the technicals out, especially VR teaching moments and game during these um, these episodes here. But at the same time, let the people out there that are relatable know, hey, it is possible. It is, it is a journey, but it can be done. Your dreams, your goals can be done as a family man aiming to build a brand. So that that's what that's what I really think, you know, that's what I'm really excited for, knowing that we're here to help the folks. I mean one of my mentors used to tell me your dreams should be real. And he's the same person who told me they don't know you, they can't slow you. So essentially that is why we're putting ourselves in front 
because I always tell people, your people need you. At the end of the day, you need to be able to tell your story. You need to be in front of people telling your story because we live in a world where, I mean, it's not just social media, but we live in a very, a social network. I mean, and, and whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or, or LinkedIn, your email, I mean, but things that are letting us be in front of people, YouTube and all these different platforms that we're making the world such a small place that we're, we're following and, 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 and engaging and locking into people that we've never met before, but we're so in tune to their stories, we're so in tune to their brands, we're so in tune to their products, all because this social network of a world that we're living is making the world smaller and smaller, especially for, I mean, millennials and the generations to come, Gen Z and all that stuff. So we really wanted to start this so we could really get people who are doing this stuff, who are building and scaling to help you build what you want to build. Like Ralph said, I mean, when we started our businesses, we didn't know, I mean, we went years without even understanding about, about taxes and stuff until Ralph's father was passed away. I mean, so rest in peace, helped us figure how to structure our businesses properly, how to um, get a bookkeeper, an accountant, file your taxes, make sure you get your sales um, um, IDs and all these different things that I think people probably, it's just going to go over so many people's heads and we're here to help you and we're here to bring the resources and networks to help you make sure you stay on track um, with this stuff. So that's really what this um, whole podcast, this episode is going to be about. It's going to be an interesting journey. And then we're going to talk about family. We're definitely going to talk about the trials and tribulations, but the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly raising our sons, raising our sons as black men in America, raising, I mean, ourselves as, uh, as juggling family and, and, and business and, and everything that's in between that, because I think there is no formula. There is no, oh, because people say balance. And I don't think, I'm not going to say there's no balance, but we are figuring out as we go and we're happy with who we are. We're happy with what we've become. And it's good to know, I'm not saying there are no down days, because I'm not going to lie to you, there are days where maybe for all three, four days, I'm just in funk. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. But I have to remember my whys, my family, my wife, my son, my business partner, and um, and my goals, my goal of financial independence. And I think for Ralph, it's the same thing, not wanting to let each other down. And um, that's why we've been in business for so long. That's why we've had a relationship for so long, because we continue to motivate people each other to make sure we get to where we need to get to and that's very very important when you're fighting this entrepreneurial journey exactly so hey y'all this is exactly what the podcast is going to be about this is who we are this is what we're about uh stay tuned we got more of this on the way let's go awesome people yeah so thank you guys very much for listening we appreciate you guys. This is going to be an interesting journey. Family man building brand podcast. And we got some exciting people to interview. We got some exciting stories to tell. We got a whole system and a framework by which we're going to go through things with you, help you make sure you set up your business, your structures. And I mean, whatever advice and tips we can give on the family. And I mean, we're just giving our opinions and perspectives when it comes to that, because we're not experts. We're not professionals at this stuff, but we have skin in the game, so on both sides. So uh, we're just hoping to share that stuff with you guys. So really appreciate you guys taking your time out to listen to this, spread the word, share it with your friends, follow us, Family Man, Building a Brand on your favorite platform. And um, thank you guys very much. We appreciate the time. 
that's it for today's episode of Family Man Building the Brand. We hope we left you with a ton of value from this episode. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a rating and a review. This helps our show gain traction with other listeners just like you. You can join our community by subscribing and following Family Man Building the Brand on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, we're family and together we build. 